Coast to coast, nonstop action. This is the premier source for National Hockey League news. Scores, highlights, and the Anaheim Ducks. It's time to light the lamp with Alexis Downing. Welcome to Light the Lamp here on Duck Stream. I'm your host, Alexis Downey, coming to you from the Paul Korea studio. It's a bit of a lighter episode today as we close out a busy week of the preseason. The Ducks are sitting at 4-2 and two and heading to L.A. tomorrow for their final preseason game before their regular season begins on the 12th next Wednesday. Now, a lot to look forward to next week, including plenty of content here on the stream. So make sure you stay tuned on our Twitter to see what we have coming up. And if you haven't heard already, make sure you send your questions for my new segment in Mailbag Mondays. Send them to DuckStream at AnaheimDucks.com or you can tweet at me at AlexisDowney underscore or you can even tweet at, at DuckStream on Twitter to get those questions answered in that new segment. If you listened in this week, then you know on Wednesday I spoke with Eric Duhatchet to preview the Calgary Flames as a part of my Pacific Preview series. And today, being Friday, a little bit of news came out in regards to the team. The Flames signed defenseman Mackenzie Weger to an eight-year, $50 million contract extension. Weger and Jonathan Huberdeau were a part of the trade that sent Matthew Kachuk to the Florida Panthers while bringing them to the Calgary Flames. We haven't seen him officially in a Flames uniform yet, but this was a big signing for the Flames to get done before the season starts. You can expect Weger to be on the top defensive line with Chris Tanev, and he's coming off a career-best 44-point season last year. Calgary doing a great job of locking down their guys with signings continue to roll through before the season starts, the Dallas Stars signed their young star in Jason Robertson to a four-year, $31 million deal on Wednesday. The negotiations have been ongoing for a bit. Robertson not taking part in some of the preseason activities, but now he's expected to be back out on the ice with the team. The Stars clearly see him as a valuable piece for their future. I mean, last season, he led the team in power play goals with 13 of them, as well as having 41 goals, so certainly a big piece to keep a part of their team. And just as a reminder, the deadline for NHL teams is Monday in terms of them needing to be cap compliant for the season, so look out for that in case there could be any more movements over the weekend. Moving on, my Pacific Division preview continues today with two more teams, beginning with the Vancouver Canucks, who finished fifth in the division last season with 92 points. JT Miller was the team's leading scorer last season with 99 points, getting his name among the top skaters in the NHL, and he just signed a big offseason deal that's going to keep him in Vancouver for a while. The Canucks were not very impressive last season, though. But when Bruce Boudreau became the new head coach, things changed a little bit. The team is beginning the season with five games on the road due to renovations at Rogers Arena. So it's going to be interesting to see how they handle that road schedule. Now to talk more about the team in Vancouver, Thomas Drance hopped on Light the Lamp to share a more in-depth look at the crew as we approach the season. Now listen in this next segment. Now, I'd like to welcome in the Athletics, Thomas Drance, who covers the Vancouver Canucks. Happy to have you on DuckStream, Thomas, to talk about the Canucks. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, always, always a pleasure to talk hockey with people from Southern California, Newport Beach, my favorite place 
basically on the continent. And you know what? I honestly think the Anaheim Ducks are going to be a lot of fun to watch this year. I'm not saying they're going to be good. <laughs> I think they'll lose a lot of like 5-4 games, but they're going to be memorable 5-4 games, particularly once Zegris is healthy again. <laughs> I love to hear that. You know, I'm new to Southern California, and I've just been enjoying every second of it so far. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> it's the best place on earth. Well, the Canucks went 32-15-10 last year uh, after they – had Bruce Boudreau join them and mm-hmm. really great ending to their season. The Boudreau effect was real. I mean, he really elevated the team. What's the group mentality been like coming into this season? Yeah, I think there's been a hope that they would build on that. And we haven't really seen it to this point, at least in preseason. Now it's preseason. Who knows what matters and, who, and what doesn't. But, you know, it took until yesterday for the team to win a game in preseason. And by the time they did win, there were, you know, several of their best players who were going all out in that game, right? Like Elias Pettersson threw three hits in the very first shift. So you could tell to some extent that the losses preseason or not were beginning to weigh on the club. And, you know, it's interesting. Like, I think there's a lot of belief in Boudreaux. I think this team believes the players believe that they can be really good. Uh, that they can beat anybody. And yet the vibes over the course of the past week, partly because of the preseason performance, partly because of the club's defensive efforts, uh, partly because of some extraneous noise around the team, um, you know, haven't been great. They haven't been great. I don't know that the club is sort of entering the season with their best foot forward at the moment, although they have one more preseason game remaining against the Arizona Coyotes. You win that, I'm sure the team will feel good about itself over Canadian Thanksgiving weekend. Yes, it is Thanksgiving weekend this weekend in Canada. Uh, And then, you know, they start with five on the road. uh, And it's going to be tough. Like, it's going to be tough. And it feels like this team really needs sort of the wind at their back, some of that momentum, that, that good start momentum, particularly after their season frittered away from them so early in the year, the last two seasons. And because, you know, if they do that, their narrative about what they are under Boudreaux, about being this team that can beat anyone, I think will will have some teeth and, and potentially carry them. It just feels like, you know, in some ways this preseason hasn't gone as seamlessly as you would have hoped for a team, you know, that's so focused on starting strong this year. Mm-hmm. And you talked about that five-game road trip to start the year. How do you think that's going to impact the team yeah, I mean, it's just a tough one, right? You mm-hmm. start in Edmonton, that's a good team, right? You play Philadelphia, and I don't think anyone's expecting much out of Philadelphia this year, but, you know, John Tortorella teams tend to play their best early in the year, particularly when they're overmatched, uh, o- o- you know, over 82. And then you've got Washington, and that's always a tough opponent, right? That's always a, you know, mark that team down for high 90s to 100 points this year. And then you've got Columbus on the second leg of a back-to-back. We all know that teams improved. You know, I don't think they're going to be a contender by any means, but they could be a tough out, particularly for a tired team. And then you play Minnesota, mm-hmm. and Minnesota's really good. So, you know, it's a tough slate of games to start the schedule. Uh, club needed to start on the road in part because they're significantly renovating the bowels of Rogers Arena. Uh, you know, I don't think their locker room is going to be finished in time. Uh, to start the season. So they needed a, a bit of extra time. Every every moment they could buy mattered. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, they started on the road last year. They played six, uh, you know, three, two, and one, not terrible, but not great. 
And there were some stinker performances in places like Detroit and Buffalo that sort of served to pop any optimism balloon pretty early in the year uh, that surrounded this team. I don't, I don't think they can afford that type of performance again. Like, I think you need to be three, two and one, three, one and one, uh, certainly two, two and one at the worst coming home. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if this team's going to be able to sort of ride with that momentum at their back. And, and I think it's vital like this market has been frustrated for years this team is, I think, poised to be on the playoff bubble again um, with with the chances of getting in if things bounce their way. But the chances are missing if they don't. And that we all know, like the first six weeks of the season are going to decide an awful lot. And it feels like, the you know, that's particularly high leverage for this Canucks team uh, who start on the road with a tough schedule and, and really can't afford uh, to begin another year behind the eight ball. Mm-hmm. And there's been a couple new additions to the team in the offseason. I mean, through preseason and camp, who are some of the guys that you have had your eye on? Yeah, honestly, some of the newer players like Ilya Mikheyev's been hurt, probably misses the first few games to start the season. Uh, Brock Besser sustained an early season injury. Uh, Looks like Tyler Myers sustained a knock yesterday in preseason. Travis Dermott uh, looks like he's been injured as well. One of the guys that Canucks fans are really excited about is a 26-year-old rookie from the KHL called Evgeny Kuzmenko. And, you know, two-thirds of the league pitched this guy on joining their team on a one-year ELC. The Canucks ended up uh, winning that bidding, winning this Kuzmenko sweepstakes, to put it in dramatic terms. And he's looked really interesting, really intriguing over the course of training camp. The skill level's apparent. He's a stocky player, uh, sort of lives at the net front ton of finishing skill, a a dynamic wrist shot. Uh, There's going to be a learning curve, I think, as he adjusts to the speed with which he has to make decisions, um, you know, the the overall pace of the NHL game. But there's an awful lot to like there. He looks really good at the net front or has looked really good at the net front as sort of a down low playmaker. So, you know, he's a guy penciled in for a pretty premium role on, on Pedersen's right wing. And, you know, is worth watching. That's a name worth paying attention to for hockey fans. He could be uh, an X factor for this team. Now, you talked a little bit about Brock Besser being out. He just had hand surgery. What is uh, his prognosis looking like? I mean, I know that he was already back out on the ice a little bit skating. Yeah, I mean, I I would expect him to miss the first little bit of the year, uh, whether it's four games or two games, something like that. I don't think it's going to be a long term thing. And I think he's really motivated to try and get back. So he misses zero games, Um, but that's a big ask. You know, that that would require healing like Wolverine, which, you know, NHL players, you can never put that past an NHL player, but um, I would expect that he'll miss at least a little bit of time early. We don't know a lot of details about how the hand injury came to be. We know he had surgery on it. Team announced a three to four week timeline that felt aggressive at the time. And yet it does seem like Besser is... Uh, doing everything in his power to beat that. Uh, that would be a huge boost. The Canucks need him on their top line. They need him at the net front on their first power play unit. So uh, getting Besser back would be a huge, um, you know, impactful addition to this lineup. Uh, and and it'll happen in the first week of the season, I, I would expect, although I'm not exactly sure when uh, he'll make his debut. Another guy on the team, JT Miller, signing a big contract, seven-year, $56 million. Mm-hmm. How important was it for the team to lock him down? I mean, being the team's leading scorer last season with 99 points. 
Yeah, I mean, I think if the team's going to make the playoffs this year, having certainty, um, having a settled sort of a locker room, a settled future in terms of their two big pending UFAs matters a ton. Although mm-hmm. Bo Horvat still hasn't signed. That's a 30 goal scorer, another centerman on an expiring deal. So that's, you know, they haven't achieved full stability. They haven't locked both guys up, but um, you know, getting Miller done, I think that was, that was the player around whom there was an awful lot more noise uh, over the course of the past eight months that settled down almost immediately. Um, you know, I, I still think there's dynamics they're going to have to be careful with managing, you know, that sense that the market has that the club has selected JT Miller over Bo Horvat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm sure that's not a sense that's just harbored by the fans. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, getting him locked up, I think, helps the team in the short term. Was it the right call in the long term? Uh, you know, I think the short term is going to settle that out. Right. If you do that deal, you better make the playoffs this year. You better make the playoffs in the first four years of that contract, right? Uh, They're really locking themselves in to a win-now window, in my view, for the next, you know, handful of seasons. Um, If they fall short again and have added that commitment to the books, you know, I I think then that bet is going to look very different uh, eight months from now. Now, for Thatcher Demko in the net, last season he had a pretty heavy workload, 64 games. How yeah. do you think the team is going to be able to help manage that for his health and sake this season? Yeah, I mean, they know they have to do a better job managing it, right? Mm-hmm. They they were trailing early in the year and then really overextended him after Yaroslav Halak, who was the backup last season, had a couple of blow-up starts, uh, seemed to lose the confidence of the coaching staff and thereafter uh, didn't play all that frequently. Um, you know, eventually Demko got hurt, worn down. Now, you know, he will tell you that the injury had nothing to do with his workload, but it's not just a physical thing. It's also a, a mental thing in terms of how much can you rely on a goaltender when you don't play defense all that well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, at some point, it becomes too much and you overtax an individual. And when that individual is a star performer like Thatcher Demko, you know, I, I think you have to really proceed with the long view in mind. It, it, you know, I think the team's looking at something like 57, 62, something like that as, you know, the ideal range of games for Demko. Uh, personally, I'd, I'd see it be five games lower than that. But, you know, they don't have a proven backup. Spencer Martin is their, uh, you know, uh, their backup goaltender. He's a first time full uh, NHL backup this year. He's the he's on the first one way deal of his career. And, you know, he's going to be counted on a fair bit, Um, played phenomenally well for the team last season. They're going to need not him to follow up on that because, you know, you can't expect him to be 940, say, percentage guy uh, if you're asking him to play 20 to 25 games. But he needs to be, you know, within shouting distance, of league average. Uh, And that's a really high leverage thing for this team because he, you know, he needs to be trusted to spell Demko. Or as we saw last year, this team is going to ride their guy. You know, can this team win games without Thatcher Demko stealing them for them? Um, You know, I think that's still a big question that, you know, fans around the league should have uh, for this team. But I also think it's a question that management itself is asking themselves as they go through their own evaluation of what they've got. And you look at the defensive core, Quinn Hughes, kind of the leader for that, all the struggles that they had last season. How important is it going to be for Hughes to lead that group and try to improve on those struggles? 
Well, Quinn Hughes alone makes sure that this isn't really a bottom five defensive group, right? It's probably bottom 12, bottom 15, uh, maybe bottom 10, but it's not bottom five. Mm -hmm. And that's because Quinn Hughes is marvelous to watch, right? Mm -hmm. I, I mean, the sort of player that's worth the price of admission if you like hockey. Right. Um, you know, uh, the sort of guy who even as a cynical, hardened, negative journalist, you watch do things on the ice and just think, man, this is amazing. <laughs> it's incredible. Mm -hmm. uh, other than that, though, right, I, I think there's, you know, Oliver Ekman Larson is is like a classy two-way defender. Tyler Myers has sort of been there, done that, uh, more offensive than defensive. Luke Shen is a sturdy, reliable player. Um, but but they have a lot of guys who you'd sort of look at as being like best suited for the bottom pair and not a lot of guys who you look at and think are, you know, really going to help you win games in 25 minutes a night. Right. It's really mm -hmm. Quinn Hughes. Mm -hmm. And so can this group perform, you know, as a unit uh, that's more than the sum of their parts. Right. That At the end of the day, that's what this team's going to need. They need this defensive group to be more effective than their true talent level as, as a unit this season. And if they don't get that level of play, there's going to be an awful lot of long nights for Thatcher Demko. And this team's going to have a lot of pressure to outscore some of the issues that will result. Um, they need to find a way to be average or better defensively, despite the issues on the back end. And, and by the way, it's not just like that the defense is responsible for, you know, preventing goals, right? One of the issues that the Canucks have is they don't really have a ton of transition talent, right, mm -hmm. uh, among their back-end players. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's hard for them to connect play, uh, to exit the zone with control, to, to feed their star players with, you know, the sorts of neutral zone passes that have them entering the zone with speed. And this is sort of a fascinating dynamic, particularly for you Duck fans watching, um, because you know, I think about teams like L.A. and teams like Anaheim, where you've got, you know, whether it's Klingberg or Dursey or uh, Drysdale or, um, you know, Kevin Shattenkirk on the right side for Anaheim. Uh, Dursey's obviously in L.A. I was going to go one, 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 but then I ended up having to gotcha. switch my approach there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Dursey and, you know, uh, Roy and uh, Walker and, you know, Brent Clark looks like he's pushing to make that team. Drew Doughty. I didn't even mention Drew Doughty. I got to four <laughs> names before I mentioned Drew F and Doughty. Um, you know, like those two Californian teams, plus the Flames, plus the Oilers who have Connor McDavid, you know, these teams can move north-south. They can move north-south. They can beat the forecheck. Um, I think those teams are going to be tough matchups for Vancouver, right? Vancouver is so dependent on their forwards manufacturing their own offense by either turning the puck over on the forecheck or by winning battles in the neutral zone when the Canucks just sort of uh, send the battle on the other side of the blue line. Um, you know, that's asking a lot. That's asking a lot of Vancouver's forward group. Um, there's a lot of talent up front for Vancouver. They can probably do it in spurts, but at some point it's just hard. It's like, it's like a football team that has no offensive line right? You're always working that extra bit harder to manufacture the same things that other teams are able to manufacture far more easily because they can attack as a five-man unit. Mm -hmm. uh, that's sort of my concern for the Canucks with their defense core more than anything, more than their defensive play. It's can they sustain the type of breakout that gives them a plan B when they face some of these Pacific Division teams that can move north-south uh, with speed uh, and with precision, right? That, that to me is going to be decisive 
in sort of dictating where the Canucks finish this year uh, is going to be how well they can move the puck. That's where I think their defense in particular and the talent on their defensive group, um, in their defensive group anyway, uh, you know, could be, I want to say something as harsh as a liability, but could be a challenge that they'll have to solve as this season goes along. Thomas Drance of the Athletics Canucks coverage. Thomas, we'll see you in November. Thank you for joining me on DuckStream. Yeah, I look forward to it. All the best. Cheers. Let's keep rolling with the Pacific Division preview as we now take a look at the Vegas Golden Knights, a team that has had a fall from the top over the past couple seasons after an incredible start to their franchise. It's almost a little bit weird to think about how much they have changed and all the things that have happened with the team since they began in 2017. Last season, they finished fourth in the Pacific Division, but they were really plagued by injuries. Now, they did acquire Jack Eichel, who is hoping to have his first fully healthy season this year, and that will certainly make a difference on the offensive end if that is the case. But they're going to have some goalie woes as well without Robin Leonard. So to chat about Vegas, Darren Elliott joined me to give his perspective on the team and a look at the new coaching style that Bruce Cassidy is going to bring. Here it is in this next segment. Let's welcome in Vegas Golden Knights, Darren Elliott, who is the Senior Vice President of Hockey Programming and Facility Operations, as well as an analyst for the team. Darren, thanks for joining me to talk about the Golden Knights. My pleasure, Alexis. Well, the team faced an abundance of injuries last season. Uh, you know, some of them still plaguing them now. But one guy that's going to be back out on the ice is Jack Eichel. Uh, what is the team hoping to see out of Eichel this season? A full season. Uh, he had a first uh, full off season in, in a couple of years after having neck surgery and playing in 34 games last year. Uh, pretty amazingly, quite honestly, that he played that many games last year. Um, and he was he was fine, um, but you know this year they, they need more than fine, and he's been terrific in the the preseason. We know it's only preseason, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, just racking up the points uh, throughout the uh, early going here, looking like a guy that's uh, cut a little bit differently, a little leaner, um, and that all makes sense because he had, uh, as I said, the full off season. So you know he'll be the the dominant uh, center on the team, number one center, and he'll play the, the left half wall on the first power play unit. So he'll have the puck a lot. That's mm -hmm. that's the way he plays. How much of a boost does that give the team as far as leadership to have him back out on the ice? Well, I think with it's kind of a, a team that has a lot of leaders, right? They, you know, he was a captain, and Mark Stone is a captain, and uh, on, on the back end, you've got. Uh, uh, Petr uh, Petrangelo was a captain in St. Louis. Um, so in terms of leadership, it, it's, it's pretty well spread out. You've got guys that have been here uh, from the inception in Riley Smith, uh, you know, uh, Carlson, uh, Jonathan Marcheseau. So there, it, it's a pretty solid room from a leadership standpoint. Jack just it, it becomes part of that group. But in his mid-20s and, and, and looking to establish himself as not just a, a fine individual player. He's looking uh, to be part of a group that's uh, put something together, not just this season, but over the next several seasons. And you touched on Mark Stone. He had back surgery back in May. How has he been looking on the ice? You know what? The first game <laughs> I was doing radio and 
my partner asked me, is, what, what have you seen of Mark Stone? And I said, his jersey. Because he <laughs> did nothing, which isn't that, right. you know, it's pretty understandable. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and then, so with each successive game, he's gotten more and more, uh, I would say, closer, uh, more and more comfortable. Uh, last night uh, in Salt Lake, he had a couple of really nice plays and assists. So Mark Stone looking, you know, much better. Than, it's always about the recovery, right? With, mm -hmm. with a back injury, especially. How do you feel the next day? So far, he's uh, he's checked all those those boxes with the medical staff. So that's that's great news for this team. And the team signed Phil Kessel to a one-year deal in August. Now he's a goal scorer. How much productivity do you see him getting, especially if he's playing on that line with Eichel? Well, they've had some good chemistry along with Riley Smith. Smith scored a couple of goals last night in Salt Lake City. Uh, last night being Thursday, uh, there's a penultimate preseason game. They have one more game on the weekend, um, but. Um, yeah, he, he'll he get lots of looks. The thing about Jack Eichel is um, everyone talks about chemistry, chemistry, and they've had shown good, quote unquote, chemistry. Um, but it's really incumbent upon the wingers who play with Jack Eichel because Jack Eichel is not changing his game. Mm -hmm. he, he has the puck a lot and you have to react and read off him. And I think with Kessel's uh, savvy, he'll know where to go. And Riley Smith has already been putting in extra time uh, in little plays in and around the net. Places that are different than when he played with Marshall and Carlson, which has pretty much been the, the misfit line uh, since this team uh, started, uh, you know, five full seasons ago. So um, th there's, you know, a lot of things going on, but Phil Kessel will help with that because he knows where to go. I, he's a little bit frustrated, though, I got to be honest with you, even though it's preseason, he had a couple real, you know, goals on his stick by his standards and uh, flubbed both of them. Um, so, so maybe, maybe he's feeling a little pressure too. <laughs> well, the team will be without their number one guy in net this season. Robin Leonard likely to be out for most of the season with hip surgery. What does that look like on the back end now? It's a, it, it's not ideal it, it, from a team standpoint, right? You have unknown, right? Um, and, and you have goaltenders by committee, which never works. Um, so you have Logan Thompson who came in uh, and he's done everything you can as a pro in terms of seizing opportunity. He was the uh, AHL goaltender of the year a couple of seasons ago, went back to the AHL with the Henderson Silver Knights last year, called up halfway through the year and played 17 games down the stretch and, and performed very, very well, even though the team just missed uh, making the playoffs. So that's a, 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 you know, kind of a recency bias, short sample size, but the best, he couldn't play any better. Mm -hmm. he, he couldn't have done any more. So he comes in uh, and he's had a solid camp. He was a, not quite as uh, strong uh, in a 6-4 win over the Kings in Salt Lake. Uh, but his other performances, he, he has done nothing to to probably give up um, the, the lead role heading into the season. You have Laurent Bressois, who was the backup to Leonard. He's out. Uh, coming back from his own uh, injury, and I think it's uh, hip injury, those kinds of uh, goaltending maladies that, mm -hmm. that take some time to, to come back from. Uh, so in the interim, the, the team went out and got Michael Hutchinson, a longtime uh, veteran backup netminder. He'll be the depth guy. Uh, he's already cleared waivers uh, to go to Henderson of Silver Knights. They can 
kind of recall him back and forth until things started out in the first month uh, before he has to be put on waivers again. And then Aiden Hill, they acquired from the San Jose Sharks, a guy who's played uh, 70 NHL games. Uh, this is third organization in three years. Coyotes on a very kind of dismal teams. He played well he, last year in San Jose, lots of injuries in his own right. So he's coming back. He had a uh, first game back, uh, full full 60-minute uh, preseason game. He gives up seven goals. He follows it up. Uh, with a 51 save performance. So um, kind of all over the map there. But again, there's there's your quartet, if you will, mm-hmm. of candidates because of Robin Leonard, uh, his absence because of surgery and the uh, necessary rehab that will take him out all season long. So it's a big question mark. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots of guys there to, to fill a, an opportunity, especially the two young guys, uh, Logan Thompson and, and Aiden Hill. Um, they, they, as an athlete, as a goaltender, you can't ask for more opportunity. It's right there for you to take it and run with it. Now, another big change this season, head coach Bruce Cassidy taking over as the new coach previously with the Bruins for the last six seasons. How have you seen his philosophy been present through this preseason and camp so far? Uh, interesting to watch, you know, different coaches run training camp because mm-hmm. they all approach it slightly differently. His is, was, uh, Bruce was really about coming in, uh, teaching, getting on the ice quickly, uh, and then going back and watching video and coming back on the ice. He did that for three groups for the first three days, uh, six ice sessions. So uh, I hope the coaches came in shape because <laughs> Bruce kind of wore them out early. Uh, and all that was to try to implement what he wants done in their own zone. Uh, it, it slightly different, um, it, more of a, a zone defense, if you will, um, versus the more uh, man-on-man uh, style uh, previously employed by by the Golden Knights. So, so there, I mean, it, there's only a few ways to play in your own zone. That's one he wants. And what that means, uh, everyone getting used to it, terminology, those kinds of things. And then on the power play, he's one of the few uh, head coaches that uh, – doesn't defer to an assistant coach when it comes to the special teams. He actually oversees, um, along with uh, assistant coach Ryan Craig, but he oversees the power play. Boston was always excellent on the special teams. Mm-hmm. Vegas needs to improve in both areas, especially on the power play. Uh, and what he's looking for there is a lot quicker uh, puck movement, uh, not holding on to it so long, uh, stagnant, getting stagnant, getting stuck with it, mm-hmm. stuck with the puck in spots that uh, you can't do anything. So those are the two biggest things. Um, but I, in terms of a coach at the podium who's willing to talk about his team and what he's thinking, I've never seen anybody better. He is very refreshing. When you look at the Pacific Division as a whole this season, I mean, what are you looking forward to seeing? There's been so many changes with a lot of these teams over the offseason. It's going to be tough. I mean, it's, it's a tough division. I mean, if you look at, uh, you know, Anaheim has you know, the, the budding young stars, uh, you know, the, the kids that uh, are, can wow the, the current generation, right? They're the, they're the new kids with, with the new kids. Um, and they want to keep building on that. And you've got the LA Kings who maybe surprised a few people by making the postseason a year ago, but they still have young players emerging like Gabe Velarde. Uh, guys like that, uh, Quentin Byfield. So, you know, Sean Dursey came out of the American League and and replaced uh, 
Drew Doughty, so that now Drew Doughty comes back and now Jersey's an NHLer. So they, they've had good progression from the American League and the Ontario Reign uh, up into the, the ranks of the Kings. So they're going to be good. And then, of course, the Battle of Alberta is raging on. Mm-hmm. And and it will be good because both those teams uh, are, are first class. So it's going to be, you throw, you know, the, the Knights in there, they, they, they expect to be, um, a, a, you know, a contender as well. Um, question mark in, in goal um, makes them a, more of a question mark than they probably would have been if Robin Leonard was healthy, but that's the way it is. Um, and, and so when you look at it that way, those those teams I mentioned, that's five teams. They're not all making the playoffs. Let's put it that way. Darren Elliott of the Vegas Golden Knights. Thank you for joining me today to talk about the team. My pleasure. Anytime. Well, it's getting to that time in the episode where I share my final quack, leaving you with my last thoughts before closing out this episode. This is the last weekend until the hockey season begins for your Anaheim Ducks. We have got so much in store this season and plenty of hockey content to look forward to. I'm really excited and honored to be able to cover this team this year as my first season right here on DuckStream. So thank you for listening to Light the Lamp. I'm Alexis Downey. Come back next time and next week for more hockey talk here on DuckStream. This is an Anaheim Ducks original production on DuckStream.